Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is brought to you by The Word Magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Uh, Australia, Sri Lanka, uh, Egypt, Greece, Sicily. Wow. What, full, full of Russian tourists kind of sunning themselves on deck? Full of, full of Russian staff, but mainly um, English and Australian tourists. Yeah, really? cool. Yeah. Have we started recording, Frank? We have, yeah. Good grief. It's The Word podcast, to which we're welcome. Uh, James Med. Hello, James. Hello. James has been on the podcast before. And uh, well, but some while ago, a different room and slightly echoey circumstances. World. You weren't in this n- nice, warm-sounding uh, broom cupboard that we're currently no. recording. And all the way from Planet Barnsley, that's me, Ian McMillan. Hello. And uh, and you've never been here before. Never been here. Although I've walked past it so many times. Yes. Because I always stay at the hotel next door, and I often catch the quarter past six train back home to the Celestial City, and I walk past here. At 6.15 when it's just a bit dark and you think, and now I'm really in the building. And you never suspected that magic was being woven <laughs> never did. in, this, <laughs> and uh, it in is. this particular environment, you mm. know, regularly. Probably when you go past at 6 o'clock in the morning. And Fraser Lurie. Hello. Uh, Fraser has brought a special, you know, topical sound effect I have, with yeah. him. Which I think you ought to just try. I'd okay. Try it now. Okay, now I have to warn people who, who haven't been in the close proximity to one of these <laughs> things before. Right. This is loud. Now, uh, Fraser is pointing this away from the microphone. Well, is it I is should on, point, I should is point on. I'm not very good at this, so I, we might not get a note straight away, but... There it is. Blimey. There it is. Mark Ellen looks through the window. <laughs> Mark Ellen, come in here. Come in here. Come in here. <laughs> I that's incredible. Come in. Now, you're the man who can get the I biggest can noise out. Yeah. Go on, go on. Hi, how are you? All right. Well, 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 Excellent. James, let me just see. Do you want me to have a go at this thing? Yeah, go on. Yeah, We're recording. a horrible noise. He's going in the back of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you want this? Over there. Oh, wasn't very good, was One more. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was you buzzing. There you go. I've never so, heard of those things. That oh, is a Vuvuzela. And how did you get this, Frozen? Off eBay, £5. Five pounds. And I you, like the way it's got some um, some months ago. Hanging as a decorative item. Oh, right. so what you, you put it over your fireplace. Yeah, obviously. Oh, so tell us the story, Fraser, of the Vuvuzela. What you've been able to find out? As, as far as I know, it was invented by a Kaiser Chiefs fan about ten years ago, who built an aluminium. Kaiser Chiefs one. being the South, the South African, African football, football team, team rather yeah. than the band from Leeds. He, he made one out of aluminium, which they wouldn't let him take into the stadium because it could be used as a, as a weapon of some kind. So he decided to make a plastic one, and then got them mass produced. And he now runs a parallel business selling novelty earphones. <laughs> Airplugs. So he's a, he's a businessman. So he's, he must be made in the I shape, so, this yeah. guy. Surely. So well, what do you think of that? So did he invent them? You, you always assume it's some kind of traditional instrument. From, it's not, yeah, no. It's, it's, no. Oh, oh, this Brazil doesn't go well. back. This doesn't go back way into the mists of history. So no. as well, it doesn't mean... <laughs> kind of sound of the ibex. <laughs> it means give me some rice. <laughs> it means, means yeah, it's, it's probably the yeah, the VAT number or something I mean, like you, that. You might you could argue quite sensibly that it was part of South African football, football culture because it's been around for ten years or so. Yes, but it doesn't go back any further than that. So where do, it's clearly one of these things that has divided the nation. 
And James, I know you're not a major watcher of the football. I'm not. No, but, but you must. Where do you stand on the Vuvuzela? Oh, I'm absolutely against it. It's turned it into motor racing. It's as as hideous as the sound of Formula One now. Well, some people find that that sound quite arousing. Actually, they do, yes. But I'm not one of them. No, me neither. Well, what about you, Ian? I must admit, I like it because it it, it does. It's got a certain visceral quality to it. When you when you're watching a game that might be not that exciting, when you're watching a nil-nil draw, it actually makes the nil-nil draw feel exciting. Because these people are blowing it like heck, like like Mark just was it, and it really it gets you right in the chest. I think. I agree. I think it's a wonderful sound. It's a euphoric and joyful. It is, but it's constant, so it loses all its. But that, in that way, it's, it's like it's like Gregorian chant in that way, or it's like <laughs> oh, okay, it's like the sound of Inuit storytelling, where that Inuit thing where they shout into each other's mouths. But a chap was playing one on my street the other day, and I wanted to kill him, so it's a different thing. When you hear it on the telly, it's all right. A chap at two AM in Barnsley playing it, it did have the same kind of effect. I can't imagine what it's like when you're in the stadium and you know a few thousand people are blowing yeah. those things you know because that's just you and mark ellen with one puny instrument exactly. really. it, it hurt your ears when you yeah, i mean they, and these are presumably people who can get a heck of a lung full of you they've know practiced, yeah. they, they've practiced at it for years i you know i i i can i can accept the idea that it's an exciting visceral sound and i and i, I, I buy that but what it's masking is the natural drama that you hear from a crowd in a stadium, isn't it? Oh, because yeah, I, and that thing where people start a cheer up and, uh, and it swells and, and ebbs and flows. Or even yeah, or even or even recedes, which yeah. is kind of half the fun. Is when you you know because it's not football crowd is not just interesting when it's making a hell of a noise. It's also interesting when it's making not very much when noise. It's not singing all. anymore. When it's not singing anymore, as in the case of Spanish uh, fans earlier this afternoon. You know, see, so you, you don't get that kind of music going on through it. You know, what you do get is the the cacophony and then something beyond that. What I've heard is that it's a cacophony. Then when something exciting happens, it gets even louder. And that and it's a bit like when you listen to some Philip Glass or something and it's kind of it goes on. Then something gets very loud and then it gets even louder. And you think, blimey, this is and it's it is a bit like somebody drilling near your house. <laughs> and then getting closer to your house with the drill. And it, to me I think it's like when you listen to noise music. Yeah, I was you know, going to say, you're going you're gonna to start talking about music. It is like noise music. Yeah, yeah, it is like music. Go on, so tell us what's noise music. <laughs> noise music is like, I don't know, it's, like, it's a bit like Vuvuzela yeah. combined with uh, hand farts and that kind of thing. It's sort of, so the Japanese do a lot of noise music, don't they, when they get noise music. And it's just like, it's not noise. And part of it is the actual physical, you read reviews of noise music where it says, actually, you can almost see it. It's so loud. And then it gets louder. And then it gets down a little bit quieter. And to me, it's like that. So... So I see I'm talking myself into a corner here, but it is like that. It's like a kind of it's like noise music. Right. Is what I think it is. There's so it's a, there was a wonderful moment during the game last night where it wasn't a constant noise. It was a, a kind of had a pulsing thing going yes, on. Yes, it did, and I don't so know. The, the noise was oh, fading. Oh, I heard in and that. Out. Yes. Yeah, I heard that in the game this morning. That was yeah. that was quite exciting. But also, I've read that you can have Vuvuzela bands. Where they actually play tunes. There's an orchestra. There's ah. a Vuvuzela orchestra. So do they, they can't oh. just play a, a constant. What, with embouchure? I, I know nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the This will be at Glastonbury this year. You know, they couldn't get the ukulele orchestra of Great Britain, Vuvuzela Orchestra. Now, will they come back to Britain? That's the big question, Fraser. What do you think? I don't think they'll be allowed into the grounds. You don't, yeah, I suppose not. They've apparently sold a million. Somebody's sold a, Apparently, I read this in some newspaper. Well, here. A million has been ordered. There's a um, Vuvuzela iPhone app, which is... So <laughs> Oh, does that make, <laughs> and how does this work? It's been you, you just click, press it and it makes it sound like a Vuvuzela, and it's the 750,000 downloads. So oh, that's the kind of, uh, you know, somebody in advertising lives in Hoxton. That's how, they, that's so, how yeah. they make the Vuvuzela noise. I, well, I, I, I dread it coming to the well, UK. Because they've banned, you can't take a rattle in. And you can't take an air horn into a ground. Do they still make rattles? They do make rattles. Really big old wooden ones like Andy Cap used to kind I of... Think, I think they're made out of some kind of uh, plastic foam these days. I've seen them. Foam? Yeah, like what, a... How can you get a rattle box <laughs> out of something made out of foam? It's a very stiff It's less foam. a rattle, more a murmur, that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it, it's quite stiff, but it does less damage if you hit something with it. All right. Now, Ian, you are, I read, poet in residence at Barnsley FC. Yeah, the mighty Barnsley FC. It's, uh, I was set on when they were in the Premiership in 1997, and I'd been part of their long decline. <laughs> <laughs> so when you got signed up as poet, when they were high on the hog... I was, it was very strange. They, they, I, I just rang them up. I said, it was one of those ideas you have in the pub, where you sit there with my mate, and you had a pint, and you go, I bet they'd like a poet. You have another pint, that's a great idea. Then you ring them up and you say, Barsley, do you fancy having a poet? And being Barsley FC, they said, will it cost us anything? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll do it for nothing, because I knew it would get a lot of publicity. And then I did a little interview with the Yorkshire Post, and it said, Barnsley's first premiership signing. And then it went mad, as it does, you know. So I was on everything, I was on the radio, on the telly, and I, my, my only thing that I had to do every week was write a poem for the Barnsley Chronicle, the local paper. And they rang up and they said, it's got to be 16 lines long and fit in that space this big. Well, Shakespeare and would have appreciated that would have, kind of discipline. It was a sonnet, almost. But yeah. the thing was, if I wrote two extra lines, they just didn't print them. <laughs> so, so people would meet on the street and they'd go, is that that modern poetry? <laughs> but what it means is that because um, kind of people know me at the ground... When something happens, they'll go, you'll be writing a poem about this then. We, we... So you write about particular incidents well, in I games. I then, but it's kind of, it's, it's like a life period, you know, it just carries on. And every so often, like when we play Norwich, when they get, they've got promoted now, Radio Norwich ring me up, or Radio Norfolk ring me up, and I talk to them. It just means that when something happens, the, the crowd around you will assume you'll write a poem about this. When we beat Man United many years ago in the Cup, this man actually got me by the neck, and he said, <laughs> you'll not write a poem about this, you'll write a sonnet. <laughs> so, so it's, just, it's just a strange thing and I think just being poet and, and now since then there's been lots of poets in residence uh, there's Are there? Attila the stockbroker you know the punk poet right and where, um, where's he he's at Brighton and Hove Albion ok um, there's a woman called Sarah Wardle who was poet in residence at Spurs they've had poets in residence I didn't at, know that I didn't know we had call a yourself poet. a fan yeah they've got um, poet in residence at Wimbledon Matt Harvey's poet in residence at Wimbledon and it's just a thing where it's a league Pardon? We ought to have a league. We should have a league of poison residents. Yeah, yeah we should. Residence. That'd be a kind of conference. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it'd be in the premiership at the moment. Right, so oh, that's, that's amazing. Do you think they'll be letting the Vuvuzelas into in the Barnsley? I don't think they will, because um, although they can only get one note out of most things at Barnsley, I think they won't let them in because they turn around and say that magnificent Barnsley phrase, take it to your own part, <laughs> which means. Go and play in your own garden with that <laughs> take noise. Take it to your own <laughs> part. In that fantastic, that's what Uncle Charlie used to shout when I kicked the ball against the wall. Take it to your own part. <laughs> so, we've been watching the World Cup for a week. I have to say, in football terms, I've been rather underwhelmed until the shock this afternoon of Switzerland putting one over Spain. Uh, but any, any particular lowlights, highlights? Anybody struck? Any, anybody's been struck by anything? James? Um, well, <laughs> allow me to illustrate this with an anecdote. The, the, <laughs> the lack of, um, uh, of excitement football generates in me. I'm, I'm your absolute World Cup only, and this year I've only managed to watch one match, the England oh, match. Oh, right. <laughs> and in fact, um, I'm going to have to um, slip a name drop in to cover myself. Um, I happen to know Adrian Childs of ITV One. Of course. Um, of course he lives he, near you. He lives around I? the corner from me, and he in fact asked me what... Um, questions he should ask to entertain the people at home who only ever watch football at the World Cup. So, you so that is me. The, you're the guinea pig. I am. <laughs> so Adrian Charles wanted to talk to somebody who wasn't bothered about football, mm. and you that, were picked out of the millions of people in this country. Yeah. That's an extraordinary honour. It is. I'm not sure he got much out of me, because I sort of... What you, The only answer to that really is a sort of a shrug, isn't right, it? Right, right. So uh, what questions did you suggest? Well... He wanted to know what um, people wanted to know at home, and I, you, you sort of think, well, we want to know whether whether if we're going to win or if not. we're going <laughs> to win or not is it absolutely the only answer, yeah. isn't it? Really, but they don't know that, do they? they That's the one that thing. Is they the don't one know. thing they don't There's know. There's the yeah. famous story about Danny Blanchflower when he briefly tried to be a football pundit, and they talked to him before the game, and he assessed the various qualities of the two sides, and then they said, "Who's going to win?" He says, "I don't know." That's why they're playing the game, <laughs> which I think is the most profoundly true thing ever said in fo football punditry. You know, because you know when the results got nothing to do with you know anything other than the results. So, what about you, Ian? Well, I think Adrian Charles has done a fantastic job. I was nervous when he went from the BBC to ITV because I thought ITV tends to chew people up, you think of Des Lynham or something mm. like that. But in fact, he's managed to get... Because they, they persist in that bizarre format of having a chap and three chaps talking, <laughs> don't they? And, and he's, he's got Edgar Davids. Who's oh, like he's, a, he's like a bit of wood, isn't he's he? A he's a brick wall, he's Edgar Davids. He's a dead bat. He is. And yet, somehow, Adrian manages to... As somebody said in the paper, he's like a fan. He manages to ask fans questions. He's a bit funny. He's a bit knowing. He's a bit... He kind of... You can tell he loves the game. And also, somehow... Because he's not, because Gary Lineker looks like he's made out of soap, doesn't he? He's kind of, he's, he's very tanned and stuff. But Adrian Charles just looks like, looks a bit like me or something. He looks a bit like a football fan. So I think he's done well. What I've enjoyed as well is the Guardian's 
daily football podcast, the World Cup podcast, has been, I think it's fantastic. I do I do enjoy the Guardian's podcast anyway, but they've got this guy, James Richardson, yeah, yeah. who's done the Italian stuff, and they've got like, a very cynical Irish chap. What's his name? I've forgotten his name. Oh, I, I get loads of them mixed up. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, he, he said fantastically funny things, like they could have replaced Emil Heskey with an Emil, Hel- Emil Heskey-shaped stake in the ground. Yes. Played just as much of a part. That was clever. And he, but he, he called the Australians shackle dragons. Yes. I've oh, like, never heard that one That's a terrible phrase, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, New Zealanders would love using that about Absolutely. Australians. I've locked but that one away. I, I, thought, I think Gary Lineker, he's not... He's not as good as agent. I went to a gig with Gary Lineker in a, in a park in London for this library thing where they said, look, Ian, what you were to talk about the effect of uh, libraries and poetry and that for ten minutes, then Gary Lineker is going to get up and talk about libraries for twenty minutes. I said, really? They said, yeah. <laughs> in a park with 2,000 kids. I said, right. So I got there and they said, look, you might not get ten minutes because Gary's going to do twenty minutes. I said, right. <laughs> so, so I got up and Gary Lineker's behind me and I did this ten minutes and they introduced me in the worst way possible. They went, here's him at the moment. Gary Lineker's coming in a minute. So, <laughs> she so is, all the way through the thing, they're going, Gary, they're all shouting, these kids. I did me ten minutes and as I'm walking off, I said, so Gary, I believe you're going to do twenty minutes about libraries. He said, really? I said, yeah. So he got up and he stood there. They went, please welcome Gary Lineker. And he went, I like libraries. I go to the library. My children go to the library. Thank you. And that was it. And he went off, not even 20 seconds. So then they said so to did me... did he call you back? They did. And I, I said, no, I've got to get the train. <laughs> <laughs> that awful one. But anyway, so I don't think... So I don't think Lyrica, although I like him, is not as been as good as Child's, but I think the best thing has maybe been that World Cup podcast. Yeah, yeah. What but about you? Uh, what I like is the, the thing that everyone else seems to be distressing about, which is the, the nature of the games. I think mm. it's been entirely epic, the whole thing. Oh, really? I I you know, oh, people, yes. people complain about the standard of the football. That's not the world, what the World Cup's about. It's about because it's a game of such fine margins, and it's all been about those fine margins. Oh, it's, really? It's been, about, you know, Spain today losing to Switzerland, and, and it, the whole battle being epic. And I think mm. the whole tournament is... I fully agree. People say you've had a dull, a dull game, and I think there's no such thing as a dull game of football. No. It's like saying... Oh, come on. As the amateur speaks here. There is. It's like, you go and see a film, you can always guess the end of the film. You can guess the end of the sixth sense. Okay. You go and see a football match, you've got no idea. You go, You watch these people, there's drama, there's fast, there's tragedy. It might be nil-nil, but... At the same time, it's like saying you can see a dull um, cloudscape. There's never going to be a dull cloudscape, even though it's grey. It's, it's like so to me. It's I agree. It's, it's always so you're both glass half full, you two. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did used to like it more when I mean, uh, admittedly, having not watched games, but from what I've heard, I liked it when there were some teams that were really of a completely different scale, were sort of it was like giant killing. And well, you see, we had the nearest to thing that. to that the other night, didn't we? With your your favourites, North Korea and New exactly, Zealand, yeah. and New Zealand, and and <laughs> both favourites in one day. Yeah. <laughs> both of them turned up as if you know yeah. they, they were they're absolutely thrilled to be there. Absolutely, really. yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. what it's all about. Listen, I just want to draw the attention of the panel to the thing I've been most fascinated by is there, which relates to the piece that Jim White wrote in Word. Uh, came out a week or so ago about the World Cup you won't see, which is about ambush marketing. Oh, yeah. Mm. And this story of the... Now, for the benefit of anybody who hasn't seen this, Jim was pointing out in his piece that when you go to the World Cup, what you're acutely aware of is the fact that it's been bought by a load of sponsors. Mm. And so the only credit card you can use in the ground will it's be whoever's card. paid. You know, the only drink you can have is so-and-so. And that famously, four years ago, there was uh, a competing lager that issued the, all the Dutch fans with orange trousers. Oh, yeah. And the Dutch, you know, will never, never turn their back on anything orange at all. So they all gleefully put on these trousers, turned up at the ground, and a load of them had to take the trousers off, didn't they? And actually watch the match in, you know, in what an old colleague of mine used to call <laughs> their grollies. Well, <laughs> this has moved on recently. In this, the other day, the game between Holland and Denmark, they somehow got hold of 35 tickets... That they that they gave to gorgeous blonde leggy models, yes, and dressed them all in orange frocks and put them in the crowd, and so the camera zoomed on them all the time. You know, it's very much pissed off whoever was the beer of the World Cup. But the point is that they got these tickets from Robbie Earl. I was going to say, oh, via Robbie Earl somehow. <laughs> well, now apparently now that I've just been reading about this, which fascinates me. You know, now we all know that people sell their tickets and so forth. But how has Robbie Earl got, apparently, officially, 
50? I've read 150. On oh, it's moved on. <laughs> yeah. I had 35 earlier today. Then I read 50 in The Guardian oh, earlier today. But he said his allocation was 50 tickets to this one game. Now, multiply that 50 by however many pundits there are at the World Cup. A couple of thousand, probably, you know, at it's least. more. At each game, maybe. Well, I mean, you know, Robbie Earl's not even Dutch or Danish. No. You know what I mean? He couldn't claim that he had any particular interest in this. And it just, to me, it opened my eyes to this whole world of kind of graft and, you know... But isn't it the same with Glastonbury? I mean, didn't they... Everyone from the BBC goes to Glastonbury now. If you think of that... How many people are must be okay, camped well, out backstage? I think it's probably fair that a lot of people from the BBC go to Glastonbury, but I, I'm pretty damn sure they couldn't ring up and say, can you give me 50 tickets? No, I'd like maybe to give not them to 50. But... Yeah, I, I don't think you could even get three, unless right. you're the Director General of the BBC, I would imagine. They're very, very tight on that kind of thing. And, you know, it just staggered me. The, 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 the numbers involved. It's true, the footballers always get a few tickets for things like FA Cup games, don't they? They always get given yeah. half a dozen. It still seems quite a lot. But 50, 50, for, a, 50 for a pundit. For a pundit, who, now, yeah. And if a pundit's been caught doing this and fired by the ITV, I'm saying this, watch TV very closely in the next few weeks because you're going to see some very tense pundits. Oh, who would think... Because they're all going to be thinking... Oh, is this, this MP's expenses too? Well, <laughs> if one person's... Yeah. Is that why Edgar Davids looks worried? <laughs> is that why he's not answering the question? <laughs> could be. I wonder... Why would you, anyone assume that Robbie Earl even had 50 friends in South Africa? Well, I, and my argument is if you've got 50 tickets, you've got 50 friends, haven't you? You know, pretty easily. Yeah. You, you, you know. In London, Oh, you mean you give him in the first place, yeah? Oh, with family and friends, yeah. you know. But they're not all out there on the off chance he's going to get tickets, are they? Well, it, it must be just an alternative way of paying presenters, one yeah. can only assume. So I'm just saying watch the, watch the pundits yeah. very closely. Mm-hmm. I think they'll steer away from that subject because there must be people who've done something similar. No names, no patron. Oh. Anyway, anything else on the World Cup? The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Before we move on to the subject that James has written about in the current issue of The Word, uh, which is what we have to call kindy rock. Do we have to call it that, do you think? Well, you know, it'll probably do. Gonna, it'll yeah. do. Explain, James, kindy oh. rock for the benefit of anybody who hasn't read your excellent piece. The mad people. Um, <laughs> kindy is... Um, is music made for, I guess made for, parents, basically, who don't want to listen to uh, the usual Disney type of pop music and want to listen to music that sounds more like the stuff they listen to either now or when they stop listening to music, the, I guess. They want the children to listen to this. Oh, yeah, it's for it's to keep the it's children quiet the in the kids. back of the car. Yeah, absolutely. So this is indie rock... Aimed at children. What yeah. sort of age are we talking about? I think, I guess it's under 10, I would say. Under 10? Yeah. And so what are the, what are the signs that this is start, starting to happen? There's been a compilation album, I believe? There's been a fair number of compilation albums, but it's really at sales. I mean, it's... Um, and it's all been started by... A, the, um, the most high-profile people are former indie people. They might be giants, who most of us will know went out and did uh, one called Here Come the ABCs, then Here Come the 123s, and now Here Comes Science, their best-selling record for Here Comes Science. 15, 15 years or so something. So this is an educational oh, indie yeah. rock record, yeah. explaining but splitting the atom and, sound, and, and obviously, principle. as anyone who knows They Might Be Giants, it sounds quite like a They Might Be Giants record. Right. Anyway. Um, and a guy called Dan Zanes, who used to be in the Del Fuegos. Oh, yes, for, uh, another name. US alt-rock fans of the 80s. Um, his is really actually pretty good, which I wouldn't say about a lot of it, because his is basically doing folk music, which right. translates very nicely to the kids. But he's particularly fascinating because he uses it to get um, people in to collaborate with. Um, I've, I've wrote a little list here: um, Lou Reed, Nick Cave, the Cronus Quartet. So, Lou, sorry, Lou Reed's made a record he, for children. Yeah, with this guy Dan Zanes. I don't, how does it go? There's a lose record to children. Oh, the the very concept of lose seems frightening. Well, come on, children. satellite of love. Oh, okay. You can you can hear him. All oh, right, yeah. Uh, sounds a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he gets the Cronus Quartet in Bob Weir from the Grateful Dead. This doesn't sound much like fun to me. 
<laughs> oh, now that is interesting because what it does sound is exactly like fun with capital F because it's all very jinka 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 acoustic guitars, you know, semi-acoustic guitars, drums going up and down, up and down, bouncy bass. It is fun. Okay. So you went to a gig. F. You went to a gig. At I the... did, but this was slightly different because this is um, that that is one one branch. That's kindy. This was sort of related, which is a lot of which is more what I would call the sort of kooks effect. You know, the um, David Bowie song that he wrote for his son. Okay. It's when, when indie stars are hitting 30 or 40, have a kid. Which they all are. Yeah, have a kid and write, start writing songs for Suddenly them. get immensely sentimental. Absolutely. Over and write some sweet songs. And um, this was arranged... Um, this is a compilation of songs that's got people from... Um, let me, uh, Tanya Donnelly from Belly and, and people like that. It's an American compilation. There have been ones before the two guys from the Tinder Sticks had some kids, made a kid's record, Jarvis Cocker, very enjoyable one. Bell and Sebastian have even done it. And I got, I heard one just yesterday by Catherine Williams, folk singer. Right. Stuck at home, raising some little kids. Another friend who's a musician... Let's write some tunes. So you can you can almost plot these, can't you? Look through people's albums. You know, the, 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 the third album is the kind of Get Married album or you like, know, yeah. the Settle Down album. And then the, the, by the fifth album, there's a, there's a song about... Do you know, nobody's ever had a child before. You know, that, 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 <laughs> yeah. very often got that... Well, yeah, that I, I do it, remember um, a song, I, uh, a story I heard about um, Nick Cave who'd written one song for his son and... Um, Blixer Bargeld, his famously phlegmatic German guitarist, sort of took him aside and told him to just keep it for his private collection. Really? And there's a, there is a lot of times, having researched in this piece, you thought there was some wisdom there. Yes, no, no but, I can see um, that. I can see that. But that said, you know, I, they're, they're also, there's a whole circuit in, Amer- in America of these sort of bouncy bands... There's there's a kids a palooza. You couldn't make it up, could you? Really, a kids a palooza. Yeah, this there's, is a big festival yeah, with small really children running about. Yeah, and, and all their parents standing there going, what, "What's the band?" Yeah, and, yeah. and they are. Are you no, really into the band? You, you do. You, that's you look at the music you. and you do see that. It's the, the it's the parents clapping. <laughs> there's, there's a quote in your piece by um, I, I can't remember the name of the woman that uh, put together one of these things. It says this record is for parents who'd like to get their kids into their kind of music early on. I had a lot of friends who were having babies who would never play commercial children's music because it's just too annoying. Isn't that a little bit selfish? I think that's awful. It is, but yet... It's, it's like, have you... Okay, phrase it. Have you... You're going to bring up the wiggles, finger not you? are going to bring up the wiggles. I'm not going to just bring up the wiggles. I'm going to bring up any nursery rhyme tape. I'm okay. going to bring up... But the that's wiggles. what I'm children like. Barney the dinosaur. And it's it is the, how old are the children? Seven, seven and nine. Paints a picture. Seven, seven and nine. nine. Okay. And so you 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 live with this all the time. Whatever is the no, they've moved on. They're, they're, they've moved out. It's no. I had to let them go. It, it's all tiny temper. And Dad, can I download? Oh right. Lady okay. Gaga so, now? so it's moved on. So I no longer ha- have the influence. But you I went had. through a period when you know whatever it was. It, yeah. my, when, in my day, it was Postman Pets. You know, it was the, yeah. And you heard it a million Absolutely. times a day. Yeah. Oh, you live with it. You don't suggest that they listen to the Grateful Dead instead. Of course I did, yeah. They have whole <laughs> CDs burned. And the one that does work, inevitably, guess which? The Beatles. Yeah. Ah, yes. Because you start them on Octopus's Garden, they listen to the rest of it. They, My nine-year-old was obsessed with Here Comes the Sun. You can actually listen to that all day, luckily. The first, uh, the first and the only time, I think, I've ever taken my three children, who are now far too old, uh, to a gig was to see Paul McCartney and they all wanted to go and see Paul McCartney at Earl's Court and they were varying ages and the youngest was probably about eight yeah. at the time and you really you realised what it is about the Beatles that they just, the people pick it up like they pick up folk music nowadays yeah, you know absolutely. it's just in the water isn't it you know and then that stuff is is immensely appealing to people they, they don't regard it as belonging to an older generation it belongs to absolutely everybody but there's something I find rather chilling about this idea. There is. There is. I the, mean, I was sort you know, the of... Indie we just, just all sort of, kind of... I know. You know. I mean, indie is... Pick something fun like Detroit Techno or, you know... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... There's a strong Puritan streak in indie, isn't there? 
that would like in to indie. see it. Yes. Oh, but I've heard you on indie before. <laughs> <laughs> you hate indie. No, I don't. I, just, I don't hate it. I just think it's, you know... I mean, it, indie it is a pretty, stick to it's, rattle its cage. It's pretty meaningless, isn't it, indie? I mean, it means... A vast... It doesn't mean... Well, it, it, it's not meaningless in terms of this no, from this, this woman. Because basically she's saying, I'd like our, my children to hear anything apart from commercial things. So it's sort of what she's saying. that is what she's saying. But, but there is such a world of difference between having to listen to the Wiggles and, having to, and listening to, to some of this stuff, which really is a lot of... I mean, if I had known about Dan Zane's... You'd have My been kids would have heard it. They would because never have heard actually, the Wiggles. It was great. I mean, they did. They watched the Wiggles, you know. I don't even know what the Wiggles are. And it's still in my head. Ian, do you know what the Ian and I are? The Wiggles. Oh, fair enough. But the way you explain it, it makes it sound... I, it, and your piece does it as well. I thought in advance it was going to be something terrible and kind of horrible and a bit like a children's menu in a cafe or something. Yeah, yeah. And maybe also a bit like when hip teachers in schools play the guitar but in fact you're not the way you explain it it actually makes sense because they are because my, my kids and my grandson did listen to nursery rhymes and they love them there was a fantastic nursery rhyme album that a lot of the players out of the albion band did they were just straight nursery rhymes oh, right. and that worked and that was straight nursery rhymes but the way you explain it it's actually it feels like a not a painless but a really educational way to introduce people to music i mean obviously not just indie, but that's interesting. So you, so you well, found I, in the end, it is a, a, it's a good endeavour. Well, you? I think it's, it's like all those things. It's coming from three directions yeah. at once and meeting in the middle. And there are people coming from a very cynical point of view yeah. who, are, who are thinking, these people, this is a market that's still buying CDs, official yeah. CDs. It's yes. buying merchandise. It's buying DVDs. It's buying tickets that fill Hammersmith Apollo hmm. th- six nights. Um, this, is, this is a fantastic way to make a career. Whereas... My band, even the Wiggles, who are instantly an Australian five-piece, who are getting on for as big as you two, I would have thought, um, <laughs> uh, started off as a serious band. You know, most of these people, they had dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of people who who come from from, from a very honest shouldn't place. You, uh, shouldn't shouldn't you, as a child? Hate the music that your parents like. That's the thing I can't. Well, I don't know. Is that is no, that? I, that? I think yeah. I think that's the next stage on. I think right. that's what I'm looking at now, which is when I mean they. So they're starting to your kids. Yeah, they're starting to listen to music that that even I, as a music obsessive, mm-hmm. um, don't understand, and they're okay. probably beginning to get like me, not liking their music. What kind of yeah. things? Oh, well, you know, just chart R and B of. Uh, uh, you know, that all it, I'm, I'm, they, I'm said. This sounds like the crazy frog. But I can they, hear they, myself they, saying they don't, play, <laughs> they don't play it to to provoke you. Do oh, they? Yeah, no, no. You see, no. I don't. You see, I think it's an interesting point. This because I didn't play Bob Dylan to provoke my father, but no, it I did provoke my father. Hmm. And you know, there was a very definite. There was a gulf between me and my father as to as to what constituted music and 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 whether he was he wasn't all that bothered about music right. which you can you can never replicate that gulf with a further generation because you are bothered about music yeah therefore you're impossible to really annoy that's true yeah you, know, <laughs> you can't you can't do that in the same no, way no he's going to have to do some so generation have to work get, harder yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i don't think he ever, could ever do it you know because even if he formed his own grime quintet of a kind of <laughs> I, you know I'd rehearsing like that, yeah. day well i've told you <laughs> i told you the famous we, we, we repeated it many times in this podcast the famous story of mark allen when when one of his boys had a band who were rehearsing at the top of the house and he was on his own, apart from them, at the top of the house, and they were going through whatever it was. I don't know, it smells like teen spirit. Again and again and again. It's an appalling noise. And he eventually just had enough and galloped four flights of stairs, flung open the door, and there he was framed in the doorway, angry father. And he said, if you're going to play that song, for God's sake, let me tune that bass. Because <laughs> that's the thing that shifted in the kind of, you know, the, the, the father-children relationship over music. So does that mean then that we, that when my grandson starts playing stuff to me, then I really, I can't say the famous words, watch that row, turn that row off, because, because I've, 
Because I've got a knowledge of music. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And you've just been talking about Japanese noise music, yeah, you yeah. know, so the likelihood that yeah, he's ever going to... He's never going to get you annoyed, is he? No, <laughs> yeah, true. The thing that would get, get you most annoyed is if he didn't care about music at all, actually. Yes, and, that's and true. Took that, a, yeah. You know, yeah. the, the, the thing that actually... Uh, I have terrible arguments with my kids, never about music, always about how much television they watch. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, yeah, the, my, my idea of my favourite waste of time as a teenager was playing records. Endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. But nowadays they don't bother about records quite so much. It's more like it's a bit of a computer game or the telly or a phone or something. Which and that will bring out very much the same attitudes in me that my father had. Yeah. Hearing yeah. Bob Dylan, you know, it's a kind of moral disapproval, actually. Which fathers have always got to have to get They've some kind of moral to. high ground, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Father's Day this week. Oh yeah, and uh, is anybody expecting one of the uh, one of the many Jeremy Clarkson branded compilations of uh, driving music that are available in your local Emporium? Have you seen these? Have you ever looked uh, at I've, these? I think I've I think I've seen great driving music. Great driving <laughs> for dad. Yeah, for really? dad. This you know the, the, uh, this week. I can't see it myself. Can you? I can't drive, so that'd be terrible. All oh, right. <laughs> great <laughs> bus riding music. Great passenger music. <laughs> Because Mark Allen pointed out to me that, you know, if you decide that your father likes music, how do you know he likes music? Because he's got it. Therefore, why would he want you to buy him any more? Isn't the likelihood going to be that you're going to buy the wrong thing? Yeah. Well, it's funny because my kids buy me the kind of music they think a dad should like. Go on, which is? Which is, yeah. Well, as you know, I like to listen to a bit of noise music. (laughs) I like like music that empties the room. So a bit of of squeaky gate, as my wife calls it. And... uh, (laughs) But then my kids will buy me a Paul Weller CD. Ah, yeah. Or they'll buy me a Beautiful South compilation. Oh, or they'll buy me, you know, a Chris Difford CD because they they imagine that that's what a 55-year-old, 54-year-old bloke like me should listen to, not the squeaky gate. And they're the generally bloke. right, I imagine. I suppose they are, but then and they buy it, and I, I can't listen to it because, you know, I'd like to listen to anything. But then I really wish they'd buy me an Evan Parker yeah, some just some squeaky doors only on shooting, but they won't do Which that. they never would, would they? They never will because it's like the, it, your dad wouldn't listen to that because that, isn't that isn't that that's in the nature of buying music for people. I mean, mm. I used I discovered that I used to buy everyone music at Christmas and birthdays because I like going into record shops and buying music. Well, there is that. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nothing yeah, to do yeah, with. Yeah. It's a dangerous business. Yeah. Dangerous. You're not expecting any music for Father's Day. I'm not. No. Although, ironically, my one of my children did um, hold up a magazine to my wife yesterday and say, "I really want to buy this for for for, for Dad for Father's Day." And it was uh, 1966 England strip, which, as I've kind of pointed <laughs> out to you already. <laughs> Fallen on deaf ears. But if they bought it for you, you'd be pleased, wouldn't you? Go. Oh, that's God. great. If I did, well, is Father's Day observed in a big way in your house, Ian? I, also, I do find it a bit odd, Father's Day, but, uh, but having three kids and one grandson, yeah, you do, you do get it observed. But the thing is, I don't drink, so... Um, when I, I used to like a glass of wine, but I don't anymore, so they used to buy me wine, and I can't have that now. So now they buy me a, a Paul Weller CD, and I've told them that I like chutney. So uh-huh. I tend to get a lot of chutney, so it's oh, like... Oh, you can't like chutney. There's nothing wrong with that. I like chutney. Chutney's great. If you're going to have a book for Father's Day, can I, can I recommend Shit My Dad Says? <laughs> That wonderful that um, book written by the guy who came up with the Twitter feed in, yeah. in the States. This guy, I've forgotten his name, 35-year-old comedy writer, moved back in with his parents and suddenly discovered that his 75-year-old father was hilariously funny in just saying things that 75-year-old <laughs> fathers uh, say. And so he's, he's, uh, he's had an immensely successful Twitter feed, which has now turned into a best-selling book. And I hugely recommend this, you know. And his line on birthday presents is... I'm not interested unless it's bourbon or sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely everything. I kind of like the idea of that. You know, I, I really warm to that. Utilitarian. Yes, absolutely. Uh, going to the questions that people have sent in via Twitter, Daniel Weir, Ian, says, I have to ask you about Hovis Presley. Hovis Presley, the great Hovis Presley. One of the great, <laughs> not his real name, one of the great uh, performance poets from Lancashire, from Bolton. And he was a big man, old Hovis, and he looked a bit... He, he was massive, he was a big, big fellow with a quiff, looked a bit like later Elvis, and he, and, but his poems were surprisingly gentle. He's dead now, sadly, he died a few years ago, but he was a kind of un, unsung and undiscovered performance poet who, if he'd lived, would have been up there with the great. So, yeah, Hovis Presley was a fantastic, fantastic 
point. Um, he did gigs. He, he, he was he was a very shy man, so didn't enjoy the actually standing up and doing gigs, which is a shame because he was he was very funny. But in the end, I think ended up with stage fright and just never got his due. So I'm, I'm glad to celebrate Elvis Presley on this podcast. Right, right. Goose Fat wants to know. Mm-hmm. I know him. All oh, right. No, well, I don't, know, no, I don't, know, I don't know anybody called Goose Fat. But wouldn't it be a great name for a band? <laughs> Squeaky gate music. Top five poets who could have been rock stars. What, from any age? Yes, yeah, Oh, well, uh, the bloke who wrote Beowulf. Right. No, he'd have been good, wouldn't he? I mean, yeah, he, he yeah, liked yeah, a good time. Yeah. I think There's Byron... a meatloaf album, isn't it, Beowulf? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Byron. Yeah. Byron was a, wasn't he? He was, a, he was a, a rock star before his time. He had long hair and he was... He, he even went on tour, sea. didn't he? Went on tour. He did go on tour. Kept getting married. And, and enjoyed the company of the ladies. He did. He did. Any more? Yes, I think uh, somebody like Keats would have been like Ian Dury. He would have had because he would have. A lot of people assume that Keats would have taught like Prince Charles because he would have taught like some of EastEnders. He would have had a kind of taught like that, wouldn't he? And he would, would have, he? Yeah. How do you work that out? Because he was from that part of the world. <laughs> it's, like, it's like people. It's like people assume. So, so give us a bit of Keats in in, in <laughs> as he would have said it. Seasons um, of mist. It's like God, that's just. <laughs> Well, that would have been getting, you know, the, the seasons of mist, your barrow fruitfulness. <laughs> That's how he talked. It's like, well, Wordsworth, he would have had a, a broad Cumbrian accent. He'd have rounded Watter and Shatter. And, and so go on, give us daffodils in, in Cumbrian. Cumbrian's hard because Cumbrian's kind of just, it's like, it's like Geordie with a sock in your mouth, isn't it? So it's kind of. <laughs> but yeah, obviously not. But, uh, but it would, I, wan- I wandered, he would have wandered, he'd have wandered, lonely as a cloud. That walked on I there wouldn't have been a H there, that walked on I over 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 he said over Vales and Hills. All at once I saw a crowd. But normally you get, you know, you get actors doing it and they assumed that the posh Shakespeare would have taught Brummy. You know, and 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 so I think Keats would have made a great rock star in the Ian Dury mould. Right. He would right. have been good. Um Simon Armitage, of course, he's yeah. got a band. He's, he's got kind a band. of a rock star. And, and, and got an honour, didn't he? The other He got an MB. He got, he got something an MB, like that, yeah. yeah. And I yeah. saw him the night before and he never told me. You right. think they would? You think he'd tell your mates, <laughs> wouldn't he? Hello, I didn't, I didn't say to him, hello, He's embargoed. He's embargoed. And I think the former poet laureate, Andrew Motion, he'd have been great in a kind of synth band in the 80s. <laughs> Don't you think? He would have been fantastic. He's, he's got he, a bit Jarvis Cocker, too. He has, it? and he's, yeah. kind of a bit, he's kind of upright, old uh, Andrew. And he would have been great behind a synth, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Sleeves rolled up. Sleeves rolled up, yeah. Now, and then the, then the next point is, which rock stars could have been poets? Well... There are so many rock stars who've written poems. I mean, you get people like that fantastic collection by Mark Boland, The Warlock of Love. Is that good? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> fact, I, my friend Toby Litt, who's a novelist, uh, was talk, talking to me recently. We did a piece on the Radio 3 show about um, rock stars who were poets. And he did this thing called The Warlock of Love. And it had in it, I can't remember any specific lines, but it was what you call... The windmills of my mind syndrome. Oh, yeah, so yeah, windmills yeah. of my mind can be swapped for anything, you know, the settees of my consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trombone of my existence. And there was a lot of that in it, a lot of that. And what he said was he was actually, I kind of took the mickey, but he said, no, what he was trying to be was a pure poet. He was trying to write, he was a clever lad who wrote songs and probably read a lot of books and wanted to write poems. So you get someone like Mark Boland, uh, Jim Morrison, who wrote poems. Um, so rock stars who could have been poets, Jarvis Cocker... He's written poems. Um, Where do you stand on the old uh, Bob Dylan poet or songwriter? It's always a difficult... There's a difficult kind of thing that you might tumble into, you know, but I think, I think he was a poet. I think what poets do is they kind of stretch the language and play with the language and do something new with the language, and I think Bob Dylan definitely did that. What I always think with him, though, is that he, you know, he, he was quite happy, Dylan, to, to just knock off a rhyme. Mm. In the way that, say, Leonard Cohen would never have done. Yeah, I mean, Leonard Cohen obviously started off as a poet, didn't he? Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and continued to be one, yes, I do. think. Yeah, well, there's a famous story about them sitting there talking about Dylan and Leonard Cohen talking about Hallelujah. And he says to Leonard Cohen, says, How long did it take you? And Leonard Cohen says, Hallelujah, something like two and a half years or something like that. Not, not every day, but, you know, he'd worked on it for a long, long time. Bob Dylan simply couldn't believe it. No, but, I mean, you can tell it, because... Because uh, the great thing about Bob Dylan is he sounds as if he's just invented it. Yeah. Which is part of the appeal, you know. Because partly he's about that beat poet thing, isn't he, where uh, he, he yeah. wanted to appear that he had just invented it. Sometimes he had, I think. And sometimes yes. Sometimes it, it felt improvisational because it was. 
a bit like Sean Ryder's lyrics. I think Sean Ryder, he, he often improvised lyrics, didn't he, with Black Grape, and that's interesting. That's another thing where there's kind of... It's not poetry, it's kind of poetic utterance. It's kind of you open your mouth and, and poetic utterances fall out. Right. That's, that's always interesting as well. Somehow, I think we all need heightened language, don't we, somehow? And that's what he gave us, poetic utterance. Can't believe I've just said that Paul... <laughs> that gave us poetic good ones, but there you go. Oh, you're right. I think he's brilliant, Sean Wright. He is, and it, but some of those lyrics... Way beyond really the band. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true, that's true, yeah. I'd like to get him on my Radio 3 show, but you'd, you'd think they'd be a bit wild, some of these chaps. You know, whether he would... I think he's settled down. He's married now, isn't he? He got married yeah, a year ago. For the seventh time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work the last three times, you know, Fraser. <laughs> if you look on... If, if you look on... Uh, if you look on YouTube... Uh, which, of course, now is a rich source for anything like this. Uh, you, you can see extraordinary stuff of Sean Reiser attempting to communicate with his children in a pub garden. Oh, really? Yes, with, you know, while smoking and, and drinking a pint at the same time, you know. And uh, you think there's something there that doesn't quite fit with family life here. <laughs> you can't quite give but it But he's up. one of those people who you could find out are absolutely fantastic with kids, couldn't you? Uh, well, I suppose I suppose that's possible if but, they got the patience. But I'm getting the impression because rock stars, <laughs> rock stars, very often, you know. And I've had rock stars say this to me that when they're on tour, they miss their children like crazy. Mm. When they're home, after about half an hour, that's they're right, bored, silly up, yeah. with them, you know. I wonder what, he, he could do a good kindy piece, couldn't he? I wonder. Who, Sean? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That'd be interesting. Yeah. One question. Uh, which has been raised by the massive on the, which has been discussed on Twitter and on the website in the last week. Have you ever? Shared a lift with anybody significant? Fraser? No. I don't, I don't think so, no. I, I was once got in the lift with Michael Jackson's bubbles. <laughs> okay. I was, was he accompanied or by himself? He was accompanied. He wasn't on his own. <laughs> he was going probably now for a drink. <laughs> no, he, was, he was accompanied. It was the night that Michael Jackson played Madison Square Garden. I was staying in the hotel, and I thought, I wonder if Michael Jackson's staying here. Lift opens. There is Bubbles wow. and his minder. You got in? Oh, I got on the lift, yeah. And just you, Made the Made a bit of small talk with me, me, the minder, and the chimp, yeah. <laughs> Which, at the time, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. It's only now when I tell people, they go, that's absolutely <laughs> astonishing. It is. Have you ever... You must have... You spent a lot of time at the BBC. I do, right. You must you get in lifts with... Uh, I got in the lift at Broadcasting House once. I think the top trumps on that one is I got in the lift and there was Art Garfunkel, Esther Ranson, <laughs> and a bloke with a tray of sandwiches. And it was fantastic. And and because and, Esther's little, she's like a little cruet set, isn't she? She's tiny. And Art Garfunkel's very tall. And he was going to be on Woman's Hour, I think. So he was warming up. So he was singing Bright Eyes as he's going up in the lift. But to make sure people knew who he was, <laughs> he, was. he wasn't trying anybody else's song, was he? That's it? true. And, was... She was lo- and she was. And it was kind of that odd thing where she. He wasn't sure who she was, and I don't think she was sure who he you was. You see, that, that, that's an interesting dynamic that happened, mm. very occasionally happens. I was once uh, staying in a hotel. I was on a conference, staying in a hotel in Bournemouth, and there were a load of us there for the conference. And also staying in the hotel was Kenny Rogers. Mm. Kenny Rogers, very big deal, very distinctive-looking person, silver hair, silver beard, and so forth, permanent tanned, you know, glamorous younger wife, children, no doubt, fourth you know, fourth family or whatever. Um, and Kenny Rogers, he's of a certain kind of tradition that when he goes into a room, he expects to be, yeah. with some justification, the most famous person in the room, which he would be, you know. So he goes in and he knows you're all looking at him and he kind of he glimmers and glints <laughs> at you, you know. I'm giving you a bit of Kenny. But after a while, he was a bit fed up because we were also looking at this fairly unremarkable middle-aged woman who was also in the place which is Victoria Wood mm. and of course Victoria Wood is immensely famous, mm. probably slightly more famous than Kenny Rogers but and yet Kenny Rogers here, yeah. wouldn't recognise her at all no. and that's a very unusual situation for somebody like that to be in and they sort of resent it actually so, have you ever been in, the, in a lift with an interesting well, person? Well, only in my professional capacity yeah, well, okay, uh, I mean, the one that's most memorable uh, even more, I was just thinking, uh, uh, two French people came up. Judith Binoche was quite exciting to be in a lift mm. alone with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the other one was, was a French um, duo of the chill-out genre, who, who shall remain nameless. But I couldn't wait to get out of that lift, because they lived up to every cliché of the non-soap-using oh, really? variety. Oh, really? God. Ever. Yeah, it was really depressing, because I'm quite a fan, too. Oh, dear. 
Yeah. So you've never been able to listen to them in the... You know, Not in the same way, no. In the same way again. Oh. I was once in a lifting broadcasting house and somebody, I was talking to somebody and somebody said to me, I do like your work. I said, really? Thank you very much. He said, I like the bit where you talk to your manager, Ken. And he thought I was John Shuttleworth. <laughs> and I said, you do realise John Shuttleworth's a fictional construct and I'm a real-life human being. He went, aren't you John Shuttleworth? I said, no. <laughs> See, you sound like him, I said, not him. <laughs> it's the way you have to argue, you know. <laughs> right. and I'm saying, he's, he's fictional. Luckily, you don't I'm sound real. at all like him now, That's talking right, no, to yourself. No. Exactly. Was <laughs> <laughs> that famous bit of the Woody Allen film where he's standing outside the theatre waiting for Diane Keaton, and the guy comes up and goes, I know you. And he goes, no, you don't. <laughs> yes. He says, I know you. He says, no, you don't at all. He's just trying to shrug him off. And then he goes, can I have seen you before? He goes, well, I might have been on TV occasionally, you know. And he goes, well, what have I seen you on? He says, my name's so-and-so, Artie, or whatever the character is. And the guy goes... No. The person's misconception is stronger than the truth. It's absolutely extraordinary. So uh, that's about all we've got time for on the podcast this week. How much have we recorded, Fraser? Uh, 59 minutes and uh, 59 seconds. Is there anything anybody wants to, wants to add? Anything, any personal messages anybody wants to send out? Anything anybody forgot to say? I meant to ask you what records your, your parents had in your house when you were a kid. Do you remember, Ian? My dad had two. He had um, Donald Wears Your Trousers. Oh, uh, yes. By the great Andy Stewart. And he had uh, Puppet on a String by Sandy Shaw. Two records. Two records. Do you have a party? <laughs> two records. <laughs> he played them on a dance set. And, and, but the thing was, he sang them then. There's no point playing them because he sang them. But he sang only bits of them. He sang snatches of them because the rest was in his head. So he'd, he'd, he'd go, let the wind blow here, let the wind blow low. That was what he'd sing. But then after a few years, he'd just go, let the wind. <laughs> and that was it. And then he'd go, let... And, 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 just, and in the end, it was like it was. And then, and then he sang Puppy on a String. I wonder if one day that you'll say that. Then he went to A. And that was it. And we'd go on these Sunday afternoon drives. And he just go, A. And you think he's singing Puppy on a String. Then he'd go, Who are you, Donald? <laughs> what are you doing? And then the sad thing was, he had a stroke. And, uh, and, he, and the last things he did almost in his life was sing Flipping Puppy on a String and Donald Wears Your Trousers. You know, he'd, he'd, almost, he'd lost the power of speech almost. But somehow there's something about music. He was still singing the first note of Puppy on a String. How strange, what a way to go. Do you think, uh, do you think James, when you're driving around with your kids, do you, do you indulge in any musical eccentricities that the men remember with similar fondness in years to come? Or is it all I just music? I expect they'll remember some air guitar and <laughs> air the, drums. And they've actually air seen bass. you playing the air guitar? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. In the car? In the car. Whilst driving. Oh, God. Oh, well, we've, uh, you know, we've all got shameful secrets. I just shared mine. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. For more details, go to www.latitudefestival.co.uk. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com